Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shmuel Tenenhouse podcast. My name is Shmuel Tenenhouse. This is my podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Earlier this week, I was feeling kind of heavy. It was getting sometimes a little challenging for me to muster the energy and strength to get out of bed, and this was quite sudden. And I was pondering, why is my body feeling so heavy? And then the answer came to me when I looked in the mirror, and that is because I had a very long and heavy sphera mustache, which was weighing me down physically, for sure emotionally too. And officially, like you're allowed to trim your sphera mustache if, if it's getting in the way of food. Well, by the time I trimmed my mustache, which was prior to Lagbeimer, uh, it was not just getting in the way of my food, but other people were also complaining that my mustache was getting in the way of their food. That's how big and fast my mustache grows. And I tried braiding it for a while, but at some point in time, we just had to get rid of it. Uh, so, you know, easily trimmed it in the, in the sink, you know, obviously clogged gutters for most of my zip code as a result of all that hair that was growing very quickly during this period of time. One of the hardest things, I think, to experience in the Jewish community and we talk about a little bit about grief here. And, and that is when you go out to a hockey game or to a restaurant and you see a group of people that you know from the shul or a shul or a synagogue, if you will, and they're celebrating a birthday party and you were not invited. And you confront the the person who's who's doing the party, whose birthday, or the organizer, or the guy who was in charge of the WhatsApp group to invite all these people there, and you're like, hey, you know, we hang out. Why wasn't I invited to this? And then somebody will look at you, this person, and say, you know, let's just be show friends. You're not an outside of show friend. Like we can hang at the Kiddush Club. And at the Kiddush, and we can talk while the Torah is being read. But we're, we're not taking this outside of, of these walls. It's, it's literally LJBSF. And my condolences are with you for anybody who's gone and had a similar experience. Which leads me to a story that has nothing to do with what I was just talking about. And that is when I moved back to Florida here in 2019. And I wanted to get a referral from a dentist. And this should shed light in terms of the fantastic uh, medical community that we have here in Florida and particularly South Florida. So I needed a dentist. I believe it was because I had a cavity that had to be sorted out. 
It's not why we moved. We moved for other reasons. But, you know, while I'm here, here, I might as well take care of my cavity. There was a void that had to be filled in my tooth. And I go to this dentist and it's a referral. And they come back and the person at the office says, okay, we looked at your teeth. You need a, a cavity and your teeth are great, just so you know. But this is what the dentist recommends. And she gives me a plan which requires me to spend $5,000 or approximately that amount of money on Invisalign or something else to straighten my teeth, which must be really crooked. So I said, well, I just need the cavity. I came here just for a basic checkup. Uh, I do not need the whole teeth alignment thing for a couple thousand dollars that I had no intention on spending when I walked into this office. So I don't know if it was the hygienist, or, but it was the woman working in the dental office. She looked at me very seriously and said, well, the dentist says that's what you need. Why would he recommend that you do this procedure that we are recommending if you didn't actually need it? To which I responded, well, at the end of the day, this is a for-profit organization. I didn't notice a .org on your URL, and this is not a charity. So the way business works is you try to make business by selling things. So that is why the dentist is recommending that. So she said, okay, if you're not going to get this treatment uh, I'm going to have to ask you to sign this. So she turns the paper over and she says, please sign here that you are declining this referral from the dentist, uh, which obviously gave me a lot of pause because as soon as somebody required me to sign something, I was almost tempted to say, you know what? I don't want to sign it. Forget about it. Let's just do this $5,000 treatment that I don't need. But I had the courage to sign the paper. I promptly left the dentist and started looking for another one. I go to another dentist here in Florida, and he tells me, you do not need braces. These type of dentists that you're coming from who make these type of referrals or, or suggested uh, treatments give dentists a bad name. So uh, and that person is my new dentist because he's uh, cheaper, affordable, reasonable. And one thing I will tell you about myself is I like medical offices that are old and musty and they have like, you know, ancient client files and real, real, you know, archaic equipment in the office because that means they're keeping their overhead low. If you go into a really expensive uh, office and they have flat screen TVs, it smells okay, and the windows are clean, you know there's going to be some markups or they're suggesting things that you don't necessarily need because they are just trying to cover their nut. Now, I hope this next thing will encourage you to dig deep and potentially spawn a whole generation of people now thinking about what I'm going to talk about. And at this point, I'm just now going to talk about it. And that is, very popular expressions... You know, we kind of accept it and we just take it for what it what they are. But sometimes if you really want to use your, your yeshiva cup, you could potentially ask questions on these, on these well-accepted expressions. So, for example, 
I don't know if expression is the right word, well, let's see. But let's say there's this whole idea of the difference between an optimist and a pessimist. The cup is half full, half empty. The optimist says it's half full. The pessimist says it's half empty. But that example is not something that is necessarily accurate 100% of the time. So for example, if you call an airline and you ask them, tell me, is it a full flight? If they say half empty, that is optimism. So half empty is a way to see the world in an optimistic in an optimistic manner. If they say it's half full, now we're talking pessimism because who wants to have other people on their flight? You just want to have the plane by itself. Now we're getting to an actual expression. So there is an expression, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence or on the other side. Maybe there's no fence. Maybe there's just a, just a side and you're on one side and they're on the other side. Now, this expression that we kind of use in our daily lives, not always accurate because if you are a from person and you have a lawn and you have a neighbor that's not Jewish and he has a lawn, then the grass will always be greener on the other side. Let me say that one more time. The grass will always be greener on the other side. And he, when he looks at your lawn, he will never say the grass is always greener because your lawn is going to be inferior to anybody who is not Jewish. And that's simply because Jewish people, and the more religious you are, the less adept your lawn maintenance skills will be. It's not something they teach in yeshiva unless you opt for it. Maybe in Shir Dalit, there is a, a gardening course that you can take on the side. Also, you're running to shul back and forth. You're checking times for shkia. You have to count svira. There's a wedding. There's a chasna. There's lots of kids. You got to sign them up for camp. The camp already wants your forms in for next year. They don't even, they're, they're way past getting the forms for this year. They want your forms for next year. So you have a lot of things going on. You do not have enough time to take care of your lawn. So the grass is always greener. Now, if you do ever come into a situation, let's say Shaduchim, and you see the family that you're looking into has a very well-maintained lawn, you do want to start asking questions about the ancestry. Because I'm not saying that this family is necessarily not 100% Jewish. I can just say there have been conversions in the family probably very recently, and they have brought the gardening skills into the community. Now, if they're denying that there was ever a conversion that took place, then you really want to ask some questions. Maybe they are just pretending to be Orthodox Jews, but they slipped up by taking care of their lawn so we know that it's all a front. I've read in the news that writers are on strike. And to me, that's shocking because if you've watched any streaming content from Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, in the last five years, it does not look like any writers have been employed. So I don't know which writers are even working today that have gone on strike. Now, in the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast, for me, I my writers have not gone on strike. Why? Because one, this podcast is instrumental to bringing you joy. 
right now, let's say you're grilling. Somebody tell me they listen to my podcast while they grill. So one, I'm offended. Not offended, actually. I'm complimented. Two, if I'm giving you inspiration, there should be some food put on the side for me on a plate in case I want to come over because I just gave you free entertainment. I should get something from your grill in exchange. But uh, my podcast... My writers are not on strike. I have a team of writers that's 20, 30, depending, you know, on which episode I'm doing. They work very hard. They're not overseas, actually. I do not outsource this to another country. And they work very hard. And the reason why they're not on the strike is because I pay them very well because it's a very important job for me and my writers. Uh, and that's how we have such great content here, naturally. I have not yet partaken of matzah for Pesach Sheni, even though Pesach Sheni was a couple days ago. And the reason for that is because in the spirit of Pesach Sheni, I believe it's never too late. And that's why I still, I think, have a little time to eat the matzah. Disappointing news for some of my listeners, and that is that I purchased a new iPhone. I went from an iPhone 6, which I had purchased in 2014, and for the first time in a, close to 10 years, I've purchased a new one. I went to the iPhone 12. Obviously, not going to get the latest model, but some of you are thinking, what is this? You're a hypocrite. You're always uh, talking about uh, penny pinching and lamenting the cost of pretty much everything. And now you have the chutzpah, the gall, to go and get a new phone. So there is merit to that complaint. But just know that because I had to go actually buy myself a new phone, I have been crying myself to sleep for the last couple of nights on account of spending that amount of money. So that should calm you just a little bit and allay some of the concerns. And I am happy to say that uh, with this new phone, the battery works a lot better. And so now instead of spending my whole day, wasting my whole day, trying to charge my phone, which at, by the time I got a new one, it had maybe would charge would last for 30 minutes. But now I don't have to spend my day running around from charger to charger. My old phone, by the way, only would charge when it was being held up vertically. This one charges in any position. But now with my quicker phone, there's more power, it processes quicker, so I can waste the same amount of time but much more efficiently with a lot less frustration. I wanted to quickly talk about the Safer in the Garden of Peace. That was a Safer that I asked Nissen Black on an interview uh, in the, on the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast how he was able to maintain his marriage while going through such drastic life changes. And he told me that he read the Sefer and it was very helpful and he did the prayers that came with it. This was not the first time I had encountered the Sefer or the book in the Garden of Peace, which is about marital bliss. It's for husbands only, by the way. That's what it says on the cover. Women should not uh, read it. And there's one just for women that husbands should not read. And the other place I encountered it, which I, you know, was another strong endorsement, was it was in the house of somebody who uh, actually went through a very, very bitter divorce. 
And that's how I know that that is a good safer to read because we know that Hashem provides the treatment before the illness. So the fact that this person went through a very harsh divorce, had this safer on his shelf, speaks volumes to the fact that obviously it's a very good safer. So I purchased the book. Oh, one, one more thing, another ringing endorsement about the safer other than uh, what I'm about to say is that uh, you can buy it on Amazon. Now, Amazon doesn't just list any book. Uh, you really have to have connections and you have to get the right amount of reviews to be selling on Amazon. So I actually purchased the Safer. I did not buy it from Amazon. And it's kind of like a game to see if you can find a product for sale outside of Amazon. I bought it uh, directly from the Breslov Center in Israel. They shipped it to me. And I must say, there is a tremendous amount of knowledge and useful insights into the book. It, there's definitely, uh, it's a, it's, there's a lot in there. And I'm not completely done, but I highly recommend uh, people, uh, men, to buy the men version or to read it at least. Maybe you don't have to buy it, but you can borrow it from somebody else. And uh, one reason that I know and so much of it rings true to me is because everything I read is basically 100% opposite of how I conduct myself in a marriage. And when something is so different than the way that I behave, I know that there's a tremendous amount of truth in it. So again, the Garden of uh, Peace, a really beautiful, beautiful safer. Um, next, I have this restaurant therapy hack, and here's how it works. So, uh, and it's a suggestion, it's a proposal of sorts. So there are times where I will speak to a friend, a family member, and really all they want to do is just dump their feelings on me which is totally okay, uh, of course. And by the time the conversation is over and they tell me what's going on in their lives and all the resentment and all the thoughts in their mind, at that point, I feel too ill to move, but they feel much lighter on their feet and they will say thank you and skedaddle off uh, you know, to the next person where they potentially want to unload a little more if there's anything even left because they've literally burdened me with all their issues. Now, it's not always fair, but that's how friendship and family sometimes work. What I'm proposing is as follows. It should ought to be a win-win situation. It costs somebody $200 to go to a half-decent therapist today. Somebody who got a degree is not just doing online therapy. He's got it in a frame. His certificate is hanging up. He's got a Wi-Fi connection if he's doing it online. It's going to cost you a minimum 200 bucks an hour. So my suggestion is for somebody who likes to dump on their friends, what you ought to do is take them out to eat. It's a $200 expense and you call somebody up and say, listen, I really want to burden you and saddle you down with all my issues. I want to start unleashing on you the fury that goes through my mind and all my traumas starting from when I was a little kid through my yeshiva years, shidduch and dating. And I really want uh, to crush you with everything that I'm about to share. However, to alleviate some of the pain, what we're going to do is I'm going to treat you out at a nice steakhouse or a nice restaurant. So now it costs, let's say, $100 a head for him, even though potentially he doesn't even need to eat because all he's doing is talking about his issues. 
So all he's got to do is pay $100 for you. If somebody is paying for my appetizers and dessert and wants to take me out to eat, they could absolutely unburden themselves. So I want to make this offer available to somebody. And that way, I'm too cheap to go out to eat, but I will get a free meal. This guy unburdens himself. And, you know, it, it, works, it, it works for everybody. So please keep me posted. Now, as you know, I would mention reading uh, the save for the book in the Garden of Peace about uh, marital bliss. But even though I have to turn to books to learn what I'm doing wrong, I also have my own insights that I want to share from time to time, which can really help you with Shalom Bias. So here is uh, a recommendation for husbands what to say and do in a situation where you see your wife has made yet another restaurant order from Uber Eats. This is what I do, and it is uh, a fantastic move, and I'll explain why. I look at my wife and I say, wow, we got an Uber Eats order. Uh, did we win a massive lottery and you haven't told me about it yet? Or did we land a huge inheritance from a very wealthy relative that we never heard of? Because obviously, you know, one, if that has happened, the lottery or the inheritance, then it makes sense that we should be celebrating getting this food in this house. And... Uh, that that would be the justification for it, right? Uh, because, uh, you know, cost of living is just going up and I continue making less money every month. So you, you see where this is going. Now, the reason why this is such a beautiful thing to say to your spouse is because what it shows is, one, you're attentive. So you're paying attention to what's going on. You're looking, you're analyzing the credit card bills. You're looking at what's coming through the door. The second thing is it demonstrated you're a, a fiscally responsible partner and that you're very good at dropping comments when it needs to happen, and you're injecting a little bit of levity into the situation, even though uh, you're, you know, financially petrified of what's going on. But uh, it uh, it gets you over to the next hump. The next thing we will venture into is discussing a minion formation that occurred, and uh, this might work for others as well. So I live on a street where there's Jewish people, and the idea was, let's make a minion on the street. Now, it's been challenging pulling together a minion of Jews because, let's face it, if somebody's not going to shul, they're just not really interested in leaving their house or davening. Sometimes they are, but there is a curve to putting together the minion. This past week, somebody said, hey, they will come to the minion if there is a bane. Now... In order to do this, Bain, there was a charcuterie board that was ordered. There was no problem making a minion once we knew or people knew that there was going to be a charcuterie board. So that is the trick to getting a minion anywhere at any time. One guy came, and I know that you could put a charcuterie board at the edge of a cliff in a very precarious situation and he will go over and risk his life to get the charcuterie board so a minion is a much easier thing. By the way, I just want to say, if you're serving a charcuterie board Shabbos lunch and it's a wood board and you have all these fine meats cut up in little pieces, that does not make you 
a more sophisticated person. Yes, you do have a whole petting zoo. What was formerly a petting zoo now on this tray of different animals and different colors that you can pass it around. It's very small and cute. But people these days, you can buy a ready-made charcuterie board and everybody's doing it. You are just as sophisticated or unsophisticated as the rest of us. Now, for people who are listening to this conversation who are Jews for Jesus, we don't approve of what you're doing. And, uh, or, uh, you know, Hare Krishna, you want to now get people, Jewish people, you want to convert the Jewish people into your religion, uh, unto the Jew, we want to bring them onto the fold. Uh, it's a great thing, but the tactics have not been the most successful, particularly with religious people. All you got to do is get a charcuterie board. And then you'll be able to ensnare religious people under your wing. Now, for people listening going, why would you now release the secret that to get Jews to convert, you need a charcuterie board? Why would you release that? Well, because now it's a public service announcement. I'm saying if you see somebody in a parking lot who has a pamphlet or a brochure about a different religion, and he's offering a charcuterie board. It's possible that he's there just to convert you. And he's using the charcuterie board to hop you. One more thing I'll mention is at the minion where we had this bane, I was the chazan. And it was getting very close to shkia time. So I had to do chazeris shots, the repetition of the mita in an amount of time where everybody else would be able to recite the Kiddush before Shkia time. Now, here I am uttering the words as quickly as I can, but my mind is totally focused on the charcuterie board and thinking I want a little bit of each of those pieces. And the hardest part in terms of distraction was there was also chopped liver on that board and so I was going really fast, trying to enunciate each syllable, but really focused on the prize, which was, again, the charcuterie board. The next piece here we're going to talk to is a brilliant hack, I believe, for shluchim, nonprofits, who engage in fundraising, and here's how potentially you could double or triple what you are raising. So sometimes when you go to donate money, it says, hey, do you want to make a, you want this to be monthly? Hell no. I want it to just be one time. What I suggest you do is you offer a tier investment and it goes like this. It says, would you like to triple your current donation? In exchange, we will never again contact you. Because what happens is sometimes I'll give, you know, you know, I'll really, really push myself and, you know, I'll give 50% of, 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 of $18 to a Chabad house. I'll go all out and I'll use the monthly, you know, pay by four where it's, it's installments and that, that $9 is getting paid over a while of time. And what happens is a year later or six months later or three months later, 
whenever the Chabad house needs a new playground, now I'm part of the list. So I get a text message or I get an email address or I get an email, sorry. And the subject is in all caps that says, let's go, that I'll read it and my heart will start beating very, very fast. And I'm like, who are these people? I don't even know who these people are. Oh, last year I donated 50% of $18 and now I'm on this guy's list forever. So again, what you want to do is you want to say, would you like to triple your donation? And in exchange, we will burn up any of your contact information. And if we see you in the street, not only will we not make eye contact, we will cross the street immediately so that you don't have to feel that you're getting roped back in to this donation because we know that you're just a drive-by giver. Somebody sent you a link, guilted you into giving because... You one time sent him a link two weeks before and you guilted him into giving. And now you're part of this whole organization now because they're doing follow-up campaigns and now you're part of it. This will be your ticket to freedom. As we are approaching a new holiday of Shavuos and for the fact that we live in Florida, which means that there's always friends and relatives looking to visit and stay in our home because that's one of the benefits of living here, like living in Crown Heights. I want to say that I do love home guests and I do love and being hospitable. But I do want to advise my listeners that there are methods, approaches that you can take that will curb some of the warm feelings that your guests seem to get when they are in your home. And maybe this will eliminate future guests from extending their visits. Here's what you do. People stay in your home, night one, you're great. Had you sleep, you see them in the kitchen, you show them where the hot water is, everything pleasant. Day two in the morning, you are smiling. You don't show them where the hot water is. You show them that before. You also don't ask them where he, where he's, how he slept the night before because you don't want to give off the impression that you still want them there. Now, this is where you have to pay attention. What you want to do is, on the third night that they're staying there, which that ought to be the law of the land, no more than, than, than two nights, but suppose you have guests that are staying for a third night. So what you want to do is, you want to take a piece of paper, and it's got to be a blank sheet of paper. You want to put your your monogram from your wedding on it because branding is important. You always want to be top of mind. And you very clearly and succinctly want to type out basically the expenses of what it would be if this house was a hotel because that's essentially what it is, though you're not getting paid. So you want to, you want to put on that thing that says, you know, queen bed, you know, corner room, you know, $2.99 a night. And you cross that out because it's a friend. But then you also want to say, you know, two uh, sparkling waters taken from the fridge. Don't think we didn't notice. There's a cost for that because Walmart's not just delivering that for free. We said you can stay here, but not necessarily, you know, hit up our beverage section of our fridge. You want to take that piece of paper and you want to mimic what it looks like in a hotel. And then the third morning that they're there, at 4 a.m., 
you want to slide this paper under the door. So when they wake up in the morning, they're like, hey, what's this paper doing on the floor of my room? Wait a second. There's a monogram here. There's a brand. There's expenses. Wow, they, 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 they're not charging us for the third night, but now there's a small charge for the sparkling water. Maybe, maybe we ought to find another place to stay. Now, you don't have to be like very aggressive when you see them that morning. Hey, did you get the bill? Uh, what, what do you think about it? What do you think about the stationery? You know, are, are there any things you want to dispute? You don't really want to have that conversation yet, but people hopefully will start getting the hint. Anyways, here concludes the podcast. It was great to know you all. Before I forget, uh, I will be doing another open mic at a comedy club. If you're interested, it's going to be in the next couple of weeks. Just let me know, and I'll send you the details. Talk to you soon.